Hey everybody, last night I had the honor, the privilege, the joy to to interview the one and only Alan Cumming at Club Cumming with Bette Sussman at the piano and it was a blast. So here you are, part one of my live interview with Alan Cumming, Bette Sussman at the piano. Enjoy! Do you think we'll be done with social media soon? Our well, phones and all that shit. I think it's an interesting thing. That I think I've heard, heard more and more people wanting to do... Um, what's that funny noise? Oh, it's the call. I told you! <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, um, we're doing... Um, we're having what you call digital fasts. Right. Where people like take a month off of everything. I'm going to do it for a week, actually, in a few weeks. Oh, it's a fast? It's called a digital fast, so you don't go on Instagram or Twitter or... I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're allowed to... Say Twitter it. again. I just want to come again in my pants. <laughs> oh, my God. Twitter. Twitter. Oh. Ugh. I, ha- I hate it. I, I, I mean, yeah. my, my girlfriend, Elisa, is here, and she'll say... Fuck, Elisa's Jewish. Um... <laughs> She'll say that I'm addicted to it, but I fucking, I resent it. I resent, you know. I hate that thing. It tells you how many hours you've spent on it. Right, right. Oh, I can't look at oh, the screen time. Your yeah. screen time was down last week. Um, Alan, I, first of all, you, there's no one like you. Um, Alan, you are, beyond, besides the fact that you're, t- like, incredibly talented, like, it's, it's like, no, I can't. You know, like when you think of like Chopin or, you know, Schubert who died at 34. He really? he, yeah, he died at 34. And Was he a Jew? No, but I just wanted to do that. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's Shemini Atzeret right now. Um, but he died at 34, but had written more music than anyone in, that, in the period of time that he had lived. Um, and I feel like you are iconic in such an incredible way. Your book. Okay, so I've, I've read parts of both of, book, of your books. Um, I think we should maybe turn off the cauldron. I feel it's going to be uh, Oh, weird. when I said it, forget it. Do you think it's Is making, everyone here gay? Everything? Seriously. Yes, of course. Or gay Thank you. Alan, first of all, you grew up in Scotland, Aberfeldy, Perthshire. Is that right? All right. I'm from New Jersey. What the yes, fuck do you Judy, want? It is. I was born in Aberfeldy. <laughs> and then I visited Edinburgh. Okay. Before going to Glasgow. <laughs> Oh, I feel like such an asshole. That's great. Um, but you grew up on this estate. Country uh, estate. Yeah. yeah, like like an estate, like Downton Abbey-ish. Downton. Downton. Yeah. Oh, Downton. Oh, I got it. Meanwhile, we're in the car coming here, and all she's doing is playing the Downton Abbey theme so she can remember it for the... Okay. So you grew up... So it, it had been a, a Downton Abbey-ish estate that was yes. built like in 1212 or something. Something like that. And then um, 
this is totally true. And then uh, it was demolished in 1955, but then all these other little houses were... The castle was demolished, right? Well, yes. Yeah, so what happened was, it, was a th- it happened a lot in Britain, actually. So right. it was a big estate, and um, so, my, and like, you know, like I grew up... I, you know, I would go past the gamekeeper's house and like my dad was the head forester. There was foresters and gamekeepers and people who, you know, it was, it was really sort of feudal in that way. And it was like a sort of the, the, the latter end of the whole sort of grand estates and the downtown abbiness of it all. But in the 50s, what happened was... Like, yeah. Um... In the 50s, the, the death taxes for... Uh, the, the government put, made such big death taxes. So lots of these families, um, what they did was they, they stripped the houses, the big castles, of all the valuable things and, you know, sort of marble and all the things, and then blew them up so that they wouldn't have to pay uh, the death duties, the taxes on them. So when I grew up, there was like a bit... There was, a, there was some stables and an old... What was the old chapel? Left of the of the big castle building, and then um, and you could but you could see in the field the sort of um, where the elevation of the old um, where the buildings had been, it was sort of like you know cows grazing on this elevated thing. So it's a really there's a there's a <laughs> there was a big there's a book called the Lost Castles of of um, Scotland, the lost the lost big houses of Scotland, and it happened everywhere actually in all these estates. They just blew the fuckers up. So when you like went to school, did you have to walk like through acres and acres of land? Like, how did you get to school? So I walked. I mean, I walked out of my house up through the sawmill yard. Like my house was called Nursery House because it was a nursery in front of it with like, with trees. Oh yes, the nursery house. I yes. have that written here. Yes. And then I walk up through the sawmill yard. I'd walk past, go up. It was like about maybe three quarters of a mile to get to the end of the to the gates of the estate. I'd walk past some of the, the workers who worked for my dad, the gamekeeper's house where all the pheasants were reared. And then I went to the, the, the lodge at the end of the um, um, driveway, and then there was these big gates, and that's when I got the school bus. And then I would go on a bus for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes to, to the local town. Wow. And you have an older brother, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mother was a... Uh, she worked for an insurance company. She was... Her name, Mary Darling. She's, yeah, her name, her name still is Mary Darling. Yes, that's such a great name, isn't, isn't it? great, yeah. Uh, insurance company secretary. Yeah. And your father was an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, bad. bad. You know, reading your book and reading about, you know, your father full of rage and the fact that you, I mean, I I can't even imagine. The the, the story of the haircut, um, you, the abuse and the fact that you, I mean, thank God, have resolved all of that. But do you, 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 the one thing, no, he has. I mean, no, I don't know actually. I mean, so I'm actually, like, I wrote this book and it was really a great thing for me. But I find that, because I'm writing another book now, and I, one of the things I want to address. Oh, is four that, books he's written. Okay, no, this go. Will the, this would be the sixth, actually. Do you have to go oh. What the fuck? I do all my research. God two, damn it. Do the kids' ones? There's two kids' books. Oh, I thought there was only one kids' book. Two. Oh, sorry. And there's a novel. Did you do the novel? Yes, I know the novel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And another, anyway, blah blah. Who's a motherfucker? But I, what I want to talk about in yeah. that book is that you, like I think, and especially in America, there's a thing that if you have had some sort of, you know, 
trauma problem and yeah. abuse or, or something like that and you are you are you are able to lead a happier life and you've you've transcended it and, and it's because but I don't think you have resolved it because I feel what I want to talk about in, in the new book is that it's always with you it's right all, it stays and you just get better at dealing with it and in a way you know I thought when I wrote not my father's son that my it would it would in some way I would have a sort of a catharsis and have some sort of resolution with my father, but actually, he is more in my life than he ever was. He's right here beside, you know, and, he, and as he should be, he's my father, but I found in a way that book brought him closer to me rather than further pushed, away. Pushed him yeah. away. So I want to, to, to write about the idea that I think we, we, in America, we're encouraged to think that if you sort of are a happy, successful person and you've had something terrible in your past, then it's all over. And it's not all over. It's still with yeah, you. And, and, you just, I, yeah. and you just deal with it in a different way. And you understand you're going to have some, it's going to come back and, there's things that you, you know, there's things that, that about what happened to me that I have to, I have to I sort of stand back from all the time and think, oh, that's why I'm reacting like this in my adult life. And that's, and that's I think you get better at that, but I don't think it ever resolves itself. Right. But you, you've said that because of the way you had to behave around your father to avoid any rage or abuse from him, uh, the not reacting, the... Um, you know, reading of a situation. Right, and then walking in and saying, okay, how do I deal with this situation? Really was your first study in, in acting and character work, yes. sort of. Yes, and I mean, it's interesting, because again, I think when, I, when the book came out and I said that, like, I feel like being with an abusive person, you have to, or an abusive parent, someone who's in control of you, you have to, like, you come into a room, you're like, okay, what's going on right now? What's happening? What mood are they in? How, what's the, you, you really have to quickly understand the, the energy, which is like walking on a stage and you're like, okay, how's the crowd? Yes. Oh, that, what's yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What, you know, even, even with another scene, how, what's, where are we with this scene? But, or especially when you do like a stand-up or a concert mm-hmm. show, when you walk in, it's just you. You're like, what are they like? So that, that was, I didn't realize it then, but that was really good training to be an actor. But I don't think, the thing I don't like is when people think, oh, like, you know, because I had an abusive childhood that's what makes me a good actor i don't believe that at all because i'm sure like meryl streep had a lovely lovely childhood i know right don't you think so yeah and lots of people have lovely times and it yeah doesn't, and it doesn't mean they're any you know it doesn't it's not i think that's a that's a misconception about it but absolutely what i said is i really do think it's true that and i've talked to other people who had abusive have been in abusive parent situations that that you have to understand very quickly certain tropes about how that are very useful actually later when you are, you know, because acting's all about reacting. Right. So, so you have to understand how to deal with all that. It's, it's funny because, um, I mean, it's not that funny, but um, you, <laughs> your father, the, the story about the haircut and how he wanted you to get a haircut, you said you were going to get it at school, and he then dragged you and, and, and cut your hair. I mean... And you took that, and you love changing your hair around. Like, that is taking this horrible situation, and you're all, you own your hair now. I, like I just you got do- bangs for the first time yeah. in 25 years. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I thought you were going to do hair. Oh, that's hair. Oh, yeah, I see yeah. it. Yeah. I thought it might have been bang, bang. bang bang Uh, yeah like I think that's something that's uh, I I, couldn't it took me a long time to realize why it was and actually you know 
in, the, in this recent part of my life, um, like when I was in the good wife and everything for ages, playing a Jew. Yes. Oh, right. Eli Gold. Fuck this phone. I hate that. Now I got to do this. Here we go. Thank you. Um, I, you know, wasn't able to change my hair as much. <laughs> so that I, I Wait, a... by the way, you play such a good Jew. <laughs> You're so good. That's so funny. I get, there's, always, there's always little ladies on the streets, like in New York, or especially like yeah. uptown, that they've seen me and go, you, you, <laughs> you play a good Jew. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to ask you, like... Do like doing an American accent. Yes. Right. Yes. It's no biggie. What, it really. What What do you focus on when you do, like? Because look, we all try to be like. I want an accent. I mean, I think I could have gotten further you in have my an career. Accent. You I have know, an but accent. it's fucking New Jersey bullshit accent. Okay. <laughs> I say coffee. It's like horrible. Um, and you have this I beautiful say. You know, you can say Twitter, and it's like, you know, I get a little <laughs> excited. Yeah. Um, what do you have to do to speak like an American? Well, so the first thing you have to do is is to forget any consonants in any thing. Like, just okay. to remove the consonant. And you've got to kind of go, um, hang on, in the back of your throat a bit. Uh-huh. So you... <laughs> So you go like, um, like I remember there was a thing in, in The Good Wife, I remember thinking this is a perfect distillation of it, because I, the line was, I would say, well, it worked for Clinton. Okay, right? well, it worked for Clinton, yeah, okay. And I go, well, it worked for Clinton. <laughs> so it's a way, wow. back, it's a way back swallowed, and you, there's no T in Clinton, Clinton. Because <laughs> we're fucking lazy, that's lazy why. in that way. Like, I know, when, even when you say things like... Um, well, that's the thing. It's interesting. I was talking to some Canadian people earlier, and like, I always imagine them being a bit more. They're sort of more Anglo-Saxon yeah, kind of culture, yeah. but they'd still say Toronto. Toronto. Like, you know, yeah. if someone is from uh, there's Toron- a lot of Jews Toronto, there. Go ahead. <laughs> if someone is from Toronto, when they don't do the T, Toronto. Toronto. Because we would say Toronto. How do you add a Jew thing to that? Like, because he's a Jew, Eli. Well, oh, like. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, well, I've played. I've actually played quite a lot of Jewish people over the years. Like I, I you um, kind of look Jewy. I do. I do look, you and have... especially, I look like a European Jew. Yeah. Do you have any Jewy in you? I'm about to do that. Twenty three and me. Oh, I did it! I did okay. it! What did you find out? Jew, Jew, That's Jew. what I fucking found out. <laughs> it's so annoying. I was like, oh, can I? I all I wanted was to be black. I was like, oh, can I just be a little bit black? You know. And uh, came back. I'm 99.7% Ashkenazi fucking Jew. And uh, I, I am a little bit Neanderthal. Well, that's obvious. Look at me. And then... Um, what, they really say that? Yes. And, and Sardinian. So someone went off, had a fucking affair, and then, yeah. And then I'm 100% European. So... Well, I mean, that's... I mean, so she, wait, she, you haven't... I guarantee you, because you have Jewy eyes. I, I'm telling you, you're Jewy. I'm so excited, actually, to find out... Are like, you circumcised? No. Um, but, do you know once, But if you find out you're Jewy, will you get circumcised? No. All right. No, because I don't believe in circumcision. Really? I think it's a terrible thing. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a reason we have a foreskin, to protect really? the most sensitive part of our bodies. 
and the fact that people chop it off. And this covenant with God, the Jewish... I mean, there's other people who say religious reasons. I'm like, tell me about those. The covenant with God. What? I know. And like, there's all these other things that you're supposed to... You know, if you don't get... Women doesn't... If her husband dies and doesn't get married to her... Um, Brother, then we're supposed to stone her. We stopped all those things. Uh, I know, but yeah. we're still lop off. We're our still, I know. There's I no. Don't, I think it's yeah. terrible. I do. Um, and I think in America, it's sort of cut. You Except know, my kids are circumcised. Well, but. you know. Well, because I bet you that the do- at the hospital they were like. No, I had a whole breast thing. Oh, you did? I know, I had a a moil. It was crying. We were at the synagogue. There were bagels and lots. I mean, we ate afterwards. We chopped off the kid's penis and then had fucking brunch. I mean, what is that? I think it's terrible. Like, ruggalach. And, you know. And you know about the man who used to bite it? Oh, please, I can't. That I can't deal with. The moil who bit it. Yeah. And then he gave gave herpes to the baby and everything. It was just awful. And sometimes it goes horribly wrong, you know. Yeah. I mean, worse than that. Yeah. Anyway, um, why are we talking about foreskins? Oh, I don't... Oh, because I want to know if you were circumcised. Oh, I don't, have a, I, don't have, I don't have a foreskin. And actually, we're just talking about... Does your husband have foreskin? No. And so what do you, do I, you, are you attracted more to foreskin or not? <laughs> well, the thing is, I have to say, like, obviously, when you don't have a foreskin, you're, the head of your penis is less sensitive. Really? Of course, because it's not protected by a foreskin all the time. So I. So you have better orgasms. I have a more sensitive head of my dick. Yes. And also, uncircumcised boys take longer to come. Oh, that would annoy me. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I already came. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, come on, we've got to go to dinner. Um, yeah, I got stuff to do. Yeah. I got to be places. I got people to call. When you so when you know the difference. But um, it was funny because there was a there was a party in um, in uh, in LA that um, uh, actually well, we were talking about one here. But it was a party in LA, and our friend Mario, who used to run, uh, did you know Mario Diaz? He used to do the cock, that bar, the cock. No, I, oh, but he's so funny. I never went to the cock. No, <laughs> I went to the badge, but I didn't go to the cock. Um, but anyway, he has a he does a night in in. Um, in, in um, I can't believe I'm telling this story. Oh, I in, love um, it. In LA, and it's at uh, this bar called Fubar on Thursdays, and it's called BFD. It stands for Big Fat Dick. And it's just a fun sort of like, you know, dirty gay bar party. But they have this thing where... Do any women go? Yes. Really? Yes, because sometimes they actually... And Drew Barrymore features in the story, and she is a woman. Mm. And um, they have a thing now. where they, they get... Yeah. Uh, they get they, they, there's a competition where they, you go in the back and they take a picture of your penis... Or your boobs, I suppose, because they have. I have seen boobs on the, and they do okay. this sort of clothes line of photographs at the end of the night, and everyone does a sort of clapometer for who's the be- what is the best penis, or you know, whatever. But do you know whose penis no, and tits they are? Only, okay, it's only of the of the okay. member, of the of the uh, you know of the genitals, and um, and so isn't it funny? Yeah, and um, and so you go in this back, and they're like you know blah blah, and everyone's having drinks, and someone yeah. takes a picture of your of your genitals, and then you forget. And a couple of hours later, and it's all on a clothesline. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, and then the audience chooses the best one. And, so and then one do time, you have to go up? No. No, you don't. I mean, They I think just say this, do. and you just know by yourself, like, woo! Oh, I think I'm just, sorry, I think we no. Just no it, we just I meant, applaud the beauty. Right. And, uh, Did you ever see one and go, I slept with that, or I slept with that? No? No, I don't, okay. I'm not, I don't know that many people know Okay. Really. But <laughs> I... But I one time I so Drew Barrymore was there and because with her assistant who's gay and so she and I were sort of at the back in a wee sort of the corridor you know and we were chatting away it was late and 
everyone's drunk. And this man came up and went, Alan, Alan, congratulations, you've won the best dick competition. <laughs> and Drew Barrymore said, I am so glad I was here for this moment. <laughs> I've actually won the best penis competition. How many times? Twice. Wow. But the reason I think... Were I've- there any African-Americans there? Yes. Wow. But the reason I've won it is because I have a foreskin and right. nobody else has no a foreskin. No one else had the foreskin. And so it's like we're all obsessed with the fore- well, what we don't have. You know? Right. It also that's, is I also have a great quite story. Nice penis. I'm just going right. to tell you that as well. Has a woman ever won for her tits or no? I don't know. There was tits. I'm going to this fucking thing. There was tits on the time. I, be- I beat some tits. I mean, you, you know did. What I mean. Uh, that night, but yes, I don't. I don't know. Perhaps if they have a saggy tit award, I would win that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love my liquid IV. That I drink liquid IV pretty much every day, and I love it because it keeps me hydrated. I travel with it because it's in little packets. It tastes great. It's an amazing product. It hydrates better than water alone, three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO. But here's the best part. You know I've been bragging about Ben, my son Ben, who plays basketball. His team, his entire team, they love Liquid IV. I mean, they are number four in the nation. They are an amazing team. They've done better than ever this year. Dare I say it's because of the Liquid IV? I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm telling you, these athletes love liquid IV. They love all the flavors, strawberry, lemonade. I love the watermelon. I never give them any of my watermelon. They have sugar-free, white peach, green grape, lemon, lime. It makes you feel great. And if you need a little caffeine, the the, uh, lemon ginger is beyond, beyond. And I know they use it while they're working out, I'm pretty sure they might use it after a game that they won and went out and had, you know, a couple of drinky poos. But that being said, I love Liquid IV. They're a great sponsor. They're a great product. And I honestly couldn't live without them. And it's winter still. You need to be hydrated. Hydration is very important. So weekends are for going wild, as you all know. Have a game plan for Monday. That's what you need. I just had this conversation with Ben's girlfriend. I said, if you're going to go out and party, you need a game plan. And what's your game plan? Liquid IV. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code JudyGold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at liquidiv.com. You're welcome! You said uh, that you uh, learned from your, I mean, first of all, you had this unconditional adoration and love from your mother. Yes. And that you, you had both ends of the spectrum. Yes. And you said that, you know, you didn't believe either of them. Yeah. No, because my mom, my dad told me I was useless, worthless. And my mom told me I was precious. Yeah. And so, I, you, you know, and, uh, <laughs> thanks. But I, I, I remember thinking, well, they both, they can't both be right. And so I think, you know, it made me start to realize 
I mean, as a, a very young age, I knew that my father was was there was something wrong. Right. Aside from just him, you know, being violent, I knew there was something wrong with him. And so, because of this range of the spe- spectrum of you know yeah. uh, information I was getting, and then, but so in a way, it was a, a very good thing in that I had to sort of make my own mind up about things from a very early age. Right. And I think that was, in a way, I think that was. I mean, it was one of the positive things that came out of a very horrible situation. You say also your um, your father had extramarital affairs, so you never felt shame about sex, which I find. It's, I mean, uh, you really make lemonade. Yeah. Out of well, I, yeah. I mean, what I—I I, I mean, I—I—I I, I, I saw my father having lots of affairs, having someone like. What I mean is, I—I I saw someone who could not deal with his, or no, who was having problems living in a world that was constricting him. But you know, but the, the mores of how you live your life, relationships, and right. all that stuff, and dealing with his desire. And as he was not a very, he was. Still, you know, I think he was mentally ill in some way. He didn't. He wasn't very kind about it. He was very. He has no empathy and no understanding of how his behavior affected other people. Oh, so, Trump. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't. Yeah. I just thought of something. Totally. Yeah. But and also in the same way with affairs. Like, but, right. So I saw someone, and what I learned was that we. That is something that we all have. We. That is something that I learned not to be ashamed of my desire. I just think you have to manage it, be kind about it, and find a way to make it work for you. So that's actually a positive lesson I learned from my father. When... <laughs> oh. Not, when I you, wouldn't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you left in the morning to go to school, yeah. was that... Were, did you look forward to it? Were you like, I'm out of the fucking house, I'm... Well, I mean, I wanted... Did you thrive there? At school? Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, my biggest thing was to get from my house to the school bus. Where right. I had to pass, I did pass the gauntlet of my father, and he mm-hmm. was incredibly, you know, like a lot of mentally ill people. He was incredibly fixated on me and my appearance, and so I had to, I had to kind of pass his inspection. If he was, you know, if he, he wasn't there every day, but I would feel his gaze, and I would just, it would just be awful mm-hmm. to get to the to get to the school bus unscathed. And then when I went to school, in a funny sort of way, my friend Alan was, um, he's called Alan Scott, and he was here recently, and he's my oldest friend. I've known him for 49 years. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's amazing. And he was here just a couple of weeks ago. And what's interesting, he sometimes tells me things about school, and I have absolutely no recollection no memory, of them. Yeah. Because I think I had, I, was, I had so much going on at, at home that things like, you know, weird boys or bully boys and everything. Yeah. And then he, Alan, my friend, was very protective of me. I actually just didn't have the bandwidth to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting thing. I think memory, I've realized over my life, is a collective thing. Like I obviously have all these memories in my head, but until someone reminds me of them, I, I can't access them. And I found that many, many, it's a lovely thing about getting older and you run into people you haven't seen for ages. Right. And suddenly they say things, you go, wow, I would never I, I, that, that. happens to me all the time. Yeah. When people are like, remember when we, you know, went to the, you know, B-52's concert and, yes. and didn't have the tickets? And I'm like, no. But then the next day I kind of remember it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's so weird. Or just certain things will spark yeah. something. That's what's amazing about the brain. Were you involved in theater in school? Were you... Well, yes, sort of. Like, when I was in high school, there was a really lovely teacher. It's actually this interesting thing. This, I, 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 
you know, a few times I've been asked, oh, you know, what's your, do you want to do this thing about the teacher that inspired you and blah, blah, blah. And I always assumed this lady had, had long, was long gone. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and I realized recently she only died about, you know, in the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. But she was called Mrs. Law and she was my English teacher and she did plays sometimes. So she encouraged me to do, because we did reading, we would read the play, like we'd be studying Shakespeare or something and we'd read sometimes. And so then she asked me to be in a play Right, and I did a play, and I and I, you know, it was the first thing I'd ever done. And then I did a few at school, and then did a few at the sort of local amateur dramatic company. Um, and then I went to drama school. I mean, I just had it wasn't like I did loads and loads. I wasn't like a theater kid. Right, and we didn't have a drama department in my school. Right, I just like did a couple of plays and an opera at school, and then a couple outside after that. And then I was just like, I have no other choice. But did you have this. a piano in the house? Did I did you play ha- the piano? Yeah, because my one of the my. Uh, the, one of the men who worked for my father, a forester, his wife was a music teacher at the school, at the high school. So she taught me, and I saw her recently, actually, a couple of years no ago. No way! I was, yeah, I was at, I was in Edinburgh at uh, doing my show at the festival, and um, and she keeps in touch with my mum, and she she came to the show, and it was so amazing. And my brother was there that night, so we both saw it. It was really lovely, and I and I just remember like she would, you know, when you're doing your exercise like this, and she would come around like this mm-hmm. over me. And I remember her boobs like being on. Oh, hot! Like these m- big, big yeah. piano teacher um, new mum boobs. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's it very erotic. And I told her. I told you did. Her, yeah. I was like, I used to like get really turned on by your boobs. Right, on no way. Yeah. What did she say? She was. She loved it. Oh, I love that. So um, you go to drama school, but you're, you, you, did your older older brother protect you at all? I mean, you, you, yes. you mentioned that he was a sporty type. He was a sporty type, right? And I was not. And but he was very protective because also, like, he's six years older than me, which is a weird, you know, like when I was like six, he was twelve, you know. Right. So when it's I was a, ten, a, he was sixteen. He'd yeah. want nothing to do with me. But when I was at primary school and he was still there, the worst thing was that when we were at primary, what do you call that in America? Grade school, Gr- uh, grammar school, grammar school. When I so then when I when he left to go to high school, um, that I was kind of on my own a bit, and some boys bullied me uh, on the school bus. And then I, but Fuck I did this that. terrible thing. What? Where? Tell me. So these boys bullied me on the school bus, and it was like an old the bus that we went to school in, in primary school was like a sort of 1950s. It was like one they used in the war. It was really, so it was like a, it was like a bench here and a bench across opposite it. And he just sat there and this, and so this boy who'd, <laughs> this boy had been like, you know, and my, my brother was kind of like, you know, he was, he was sexy and he was did sports and everything. And then, and then there was this other boy called David Clark. And Fuck he, Fuck you, David. <laughs> I know, it's so terrible because I wrote about this in my book and I think he got a lot of flack for it. But, oh, good. But his brother came out and, and we now we're friends again. No way. Years, yeah. Mark Clark, he, he makes bulbs. Well, he doesn't make bulbs, but he does bulbs, you know, plants, right. sells bulbs. He sent me some bulbs. Now what? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, um, so uh, David Clark was sort of under my brother's, you know, um, in my brother's shadow. Uh-huh. So when my brother went to high school, he was now the cock of the walk. Right. So he kind of bullied me a bit. And I told my brother, and we would go to scouts. I uh, would cycle to the local village to go to scouts. Is that what you call it in America? Cub scouts, boy scouts, yeah, yeah, yeah. boy scouts. And uh, so, so I told him he was bullying me. And one time we were biking home, and he and uh, he just went. He sort of I went. He went, David, and we're, they were sort of all in a group. And he went, David, come here. And I went, What are you doing? He went, Go home, Alan. Go home. And I was like. <gasps> 
So I cycle, I cycle home thinking, oh my God, what's he going to do? He's going to fucking kill him. He's going to kill him. going to kill David Clark. And um, so I go home and my mum and dad, and my mum goes, where's, where's Tom? And I go, he's, he's just coming. And, and then he comes back later, a little sort of disheveled. And I think, what are you doing? He's like, don't say anything. And then about, we were watching telly and about 10 minutes after that, the doorbell rings and it's, Mrs. Clark, David Clark's mom, with, like, with, with, um, with David Clark, who's got a black eye. And he's yes, cry- fuck crying, you, David. Yeah. Crying and crying. And, uh, and, and this, she's going, your son punched my son. And he's got a black eye. And, that's her. and then and my dad's like, is this true, Tom? And, and Tom's like, yes. But he has been bullying Alan on the school bus for months now. And then they all turn around to me and go, is this true, Alan? And I go, no. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God! I was just so overwhelmed and, you know, it was just... Did Tom fucking beat the shit out of you? I mean, what happened? No, he actually understood what that I was... He understood that I was so shy. And then, like, you know, once I was so... And I cried and everyone... I was so little. Oh, my and, and God. And then, like, then they went away and I said, he did do it, he did do it. And, you know, and <laughs> it was fine. But it was just... It was hilarious that... I sort of think that's an interesting thing about my relationship with my brother, that he's... Standing up for me, and then I'm, and then I'm like, going, no, I don't. No, it's fine. Like, nobody did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. throw him under the bus. Yes. <laughs> um, so you go to drama school. Um, well, he- first I went to a publishing house and worked in a magazine. What'd you do? I didn't do that in the book. I went. So I was, I was too young to go to, col- you know, any college. because I, I went to school when I was four, and so. I, I left when I was sixteen and all my exams to go to university or drama school, but they wouldn't take me because I was too young. So. Yeah, that I, happened to me too. <laughs> So I worked, for a, I worked for a year and a half on this, in, a, in this publishing house in Scotland called DC Thompson's. And what was hilarious was that, that you get, when, you, when you first join, you get put into the fiction department. So I'd, I'd, I would, my job was to answer the phone and go, hello, fiction. It was just, I thought that anything else I would say would be a lie. Right. And then I also, I wrote, I wrote the horoscopes. I made up the horoscopes for the Dundee no, Evening Telegram. No, you did it. Yeah. So wait. 17 oh. years old, I made up the fucking horoscopes. Did they make that shit up, all the papers, you think? I think they did. Yeah. I mean, maybe they... Wait, give me it. one of your good horoscopes. Um, well, I always used to think there might be a lady, a little old lady living at home with our cats. And I was I try not to say, you know, love is in the air. And right. I'd always say that. <laughs> I say, like, you know, Saturn is returning, so now might be a good time to clean that closet. Oh, so, uh, nice. That's try and good. Keep it, try and keep it banal. That's great. So I did that, and then I went, and then I got put onto a magazine that was um, uh, called, hilariously called Tops. Oh, perfect. <laughs> tops is Tops for pop and TV, and I interviewed pop stars. No way. Yeah, and I, my friend Alan, the one who just came to visit, he Alan reminded Clark. me that Alan yeah. Scott, oh, he Scott, reminded whatever. me that he, uh, what, what he said to me, I said to him, do you want to come with me and be, pretend to be a photographer? And so I went, I went to Edinburgh and you know Mike Oldfield? Remember? Jewish name? Goldfield? No, Oldfield, Oldfield. Remember oh, Tubular Oldfield. Bells? Does anyone remember Tubular Bells? Yeah. It was a theme from The Exorcist. Remember? Is that it? That is it. Okay. So he was coming and I was sent to interview him and like they said they want some photos. And so my friend Alan Scott, now he was, like we were 17, he was maybe 18. He was hairy. He had a hairy chest and he was 12. He was one of those boys. I was 
like I was I was 17 I looked 12 right. and I went and interviewed Mike Oldfield can you imagine what he must have thought wow and I once interviewed Sal Solo of Classics Nouveau that was a band oh wow and he took me back to his hotel room and I, he got in the bath and I interviewed him on the side of the bath and nothing happened nothing happened actually really no. really did you see his wiener yeah circumcised I can't remember it's been so many between him and now <laughs> he had a bald head though um, hey everyone, you know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids, and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity, and eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get 50% 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. So you uh, you have these jobs. You end up, then you go to... I go to drama school, yeah. You yeah. go to drama school. Um, Age 17. Like wow. a baby. Baby. Oh, yeah. And, and you, your mother left your father... But she waited until you guys were out of the house. Was it yeah. when you were 17 or was no, it? No, she waited till my last year of drama school. Okay. I think they split up. I think they decided to split up when I was. Right. But like on my, two days after my 20th birthday, she told me. And were you so happy? No, I was devastated. Really? I was so upset. Yeah. Because I sort of thought they'd got into a way of being able to deal with each other. Like I, it seemed happier when I'd gone home and like they lived in different parts of the house, mm-hmm. you know, different bedrooms and, everything, and sort of had their own lives. But they seemed to be kind of 
amiable and you know and I was like oh I'd wanted them to split up all through my childhood uh-huh. but now I thought oh it's nice they've kind of found a way and everything and they seem quite happy but that was because they decided to split up okay yeah <laughs> and um and then when it happened I think when she told me I think all the kind of stuff about my childhood kind of just kicked in and yeah. I just was really 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 upset about it um did drama school do something for your psyche? Was it, did you feel like, uh, you know, this is what, you know, because most people live their lives hating their job, working so they can retire, um, which is very sad. Uh, but was it, were you like, you know, was it other, like what ha- did you say this is what I am meant to be or meant to do? Yeah. But I mean, I think I, I think I already knew that actually. Um, and so drama school just gave me more sort of ability to be a storyteller in different ways. I did they? Did they know? Did they acknowledge your talent? Did you, they say you're you're different? You're special? You're well. I mean, some of them did, but there's actually it's been so fascinating recently. There was one teacher who told me when I was 19 that I would never make it as a professional actor. Like shouted at me after a after a scene thing. I did a speech and he and he and he was so mean to me. And then the following year, I was allowed to. I got like a job, and and then I got I, I got let off to do a play of Macbeth. I did, I did Macbeth, and then and then I got a movie. And he was just, which is you know, you think that's what drama school's for. You think mm-hmm. if you get a chance, maybe that's a good idea. They let you off to do this job because that's what you want to do is be right. an actor. It wasn't like I was getting time off to be a plumber or something. Yeah. And um, he was just so horrible to me, really, really horrible. And he told me that. And so he really crushed my confidence at age 19. And the following year when I was like, you know, <laughs> I've got jobs. Fuck you, mister. Yeah. Then he was just trying to really undermine my other people in my class because he said, you know, my having a job meant that I screwed up their schedule of, you know, because it was exams and it was like right. scene study, blah, blah, blah. He, he was just incited other people to be mean to me in my, in my class. He was just awful. Anyway, so then... Um, so a couple of years ago I met up with an old friend who had, uh, who had actually had a slight affair with this pair, this lecturer oh. which we all knew about and she said I said uh, she said oh, but mentioned his name and I went oh he was so horrible to me and, and she went, he went really oh he told me you were going to be a big big star oh my god so he told me that I was never going to make it as a professional actor and at the same time he was saying that to her and then this summer I saw I met jealous. another boy jealous jealous exactly, jealous and then another and, I, and another boy said in the, uh, later in the, in, in the course like a year or two later said he would like he said he used to whip us with you Alan he would say if I asked Alan to do this he would do this you know immediately he would get That's this character so fascinating and to me he was so awful and evil and I just think he was actually a jealous person he probably sh- well not probably shouldn't have been a teacher mm-hmm. he was like a, still wanted to be an actor and he saw someone with a sort of spark and who was starting to become successful even when I was at drama school and he tried to crush it he tried mm-hmm. to crush my because spirit. that's what happened to him yeah or that yeah exactly or he didn't want I don't know it was just it's just so interesting and like several times when I've won Big awards and everything. I've had to squash the desire to say this is Did for you, the You've never said it? I've never said This is for the teacher that told me I'd never make What's it his as name? a professional actor. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, fuck! <laughs> Get him another drink, guys. <laughs> Seriously. But I just, feel wow. would, I just feel it would bring, you know, the papers and newspapers in Scotland and everything would go. It would just be awful for him. And I don't wish that on him, having that ha- but having happen so, to me. But it's so... I have to say, those people... 
in the beginning of your career who say that, it stays with you forever. Yeah. And it, it's like your self-doubt. But, you know, you know, but also because of my father. I mean, I sort of saw many similar traits in him as my father. And because right. I had questioned my father from the beginning, other people at college were saying I was doing well. Mm-hmm. But I, he was so violently telling me I was not doing well. I questioned him. you know, And because of having questioned the, the sort of authority figures in my life since being a child, I... I it hurt me because I respected him and I wanted him to like me. But I didn't think that that... I, it wasn't all-encompassing, you know what I mean? I just thought that it was, and it's, it was horrible to feel there was someone who had a sort of vendetta against me yeah. again, you know? But it was all his bullshit, totally, his shit. Totally it was his all his shit. shit. Yeah, yeah. Was it 1993 uh, where no. you first, your first big theater job was... Ni- no, not 19... 19- I, mean, uh, well, I mean, it was in the 80s, but the... I mean, the first big thing that happened to me was, I mean, you know, like in those sort of career things, was that a play that I did in Edinburgh at the Traverse Theatre, transferred to the Royal Court in London, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, got nominated for an Olivia Award and stuff. So that was, I was 23, wow. and it was just insane, and I suddenly was, you know, going to London, I was living, I was living in London, I was a big star at the Royal Court Theatre, and... And you're 23 years old. I was 23 old. years old, and a ba- I was a baby... And but I, did, did you believe it, the press and all the like, like what was going on in your head? I just, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, in a funny sort of way, I just sort of rolled with it, you know? Yeah. But now looking back at it, like when I see like 23 year olds and that level of, it was a lot to happen. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. And also I felt like such a, I felt like a, I felt like a little boy. But I was also being like a big sex pot in the right. play. And so that was a bit interesting thing. I think that's something that's going on mm-hmm. through my life that I've, I sometimes people think of me as a big sexy thing and mm-hmm. I'm just a, sort of a geek underneath it. Oh my God, you're so hot. <laughs> oh my God, seriously. You are like you. I think we did that one before, no? Um, yeah, it, you exude sex. Uh, you exude so I can't even. All right. So. You you do Shakespeare. Yeah, then I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. After that. So I moved to London. I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company for a year. Hated it. You hated it? I hated it. How come? It was sort of like uh, a sort of Shakespeare factory, do you know? It yeah. wasn't very... Because um, at the time I'd done a lot of... Well, not a lot, but a few years since I got out of drama school of doing plays for short runs and yeah. and then you think gosh you're just getting to the end of the run and you've just got the hang of it and it's time to stop it yeah. and I thought the idea of going and working with a company for you know you do different plays in repertoire it would be great to feel that you're really working on something yeah. making it better it wasn't like that it was just felt, I felt like I was in a like I say a Shakespeare factory so that was disappointing and did then, you meet anyone? I met some nice friends so yeah I really? Met some really no good one friends. famous? no um, Um, I don't think anyone you would... Well, actually, the, I did a t- production of As You Like It, which I, doesn't, I wasn't really a fan of. I played Sylvia's. And, but the girl who played um, uh, Rosalind was um, Sophie Thompson, mm-hmm. who is Emma Thompson's sister. And then wow, she, and, I love and Emma Sophie Thompson. Was, uh, yes, and Sophie was, and her mum were in the film Emma that I did later. And then when I, uh, a couple of years later at the Royal, uh, National Theatre... In the studio there, I, I did Romeo and Juliet, and I played Romeo, and, and Sophie was Juliet. And she is a brilliant actress. And Emma made it. And it, Well, I mean, Sophie made it too, but Emma's much more well-known, yeah. Do you think they get along, Emma and Sophie? I, I think they did then. Yeah. And at the time, you know, Emma w- was married to Kenneth Branagh, so they would come and visit and stuff like that. And they right. were like, you know, Liz and 
Richard and right. like you know I'd you know Brad and Angelina. It was like this. They were like the crazy, famous arty couple of the of the age. And you had never come to New York. You had always you'd done theater in London. I ne- yeah, yeah. I never, I never had been to America for mm-hmm. a holiday or anything, a vacation or anything. And I and I didn't actually come to New York until nine, until I was um, thirty one. Wow. That's amazing. That's right. I went. <laughs> that was good, Matt. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, let's just kill me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me No, it's not. It's <laughs> just, just Kill Me Now. No, Judy Gold's Just Kill Me Now. Just Kill Me Now. <laughs> <laughs>